0: Germany's social market economy combines free markets with a strong welfare state. It becomes the social democratic party. Yes, we can.
1: Education, education, and education. Hello and welcome to the Centre Think Tank's podcast, the Centrist podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the Member of Parliament for Aberavon, Avon since 2015, Shadow Minister for Asia and the Pacific 2020 to 2021, Shadow Minister for the Armed Forces 2021 to 2022, and the current Shadow Minister for Immigration, Stephen Kinnock. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thank you, Will. It's great to be here. It's great to have you on, Stephen. And the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, and this is obviously a think tank that is called Centre and the podcast is called The Centrist Podcast. So uh, the first question I'd like to ask is, what do you think of as the centre in British politics? What do you think is characteristic of it?
0: Well, the historian Arthur Schlesinger famously said that the middle of the road is definitely not the vital centre, it is the dead centre. And uh, I agree with that. I, I'm not particularly keen on the centrist label actually because it, it puts the cart before the horse. It, it seems to sort of say, well, everything we do should be aiming to triangulate, you know, to aim for a middle point between uh, different ideologies and political views. Whereas I think your starting point should be what is best for the country? What is best for solving the problems and addressing the challenges and ensuring that we are aligned with our values? Uh, uh, And if you start with that, I think uh, you do often end up in a more nuanced position, because in my opinion, um, generally speaking, simplistic, ideologically driven uh, positions are rarely those that deliver the best possible outcomes. Uh, and as politicians, we are here to represent the, the people that elected us and to improve their lives. So I think that what that means is that you have to have uh, a basic framework of values and principles. Uh, I believe that that is about having a market economy, but ensuring that that market economy is properly regulated. I actually believe that regulation saves the market economy from eating itself. Uh, We saw with the financial crash, for example, when unfettered regulation uh, is the order of the day, uh, the the market eats itself and destroys itself, and that is bad for everybody. So a well-regulated market economy, uh, real strength on national security, real building of the resilience of our economy through ensuring that local people have great job opportunities uh, and help to build a country that can stand more firmly on its own two feet. But balancing that with internationalism and recognizing that we have to have good, positive, constructive relationships with our neighbors, particularly our democratic allies in this very turbulent and dangerous world in which we live. And, And that's an example that really illustrates this need for a balanced and nuanced approach on the one hand, Uh, Really standing up for British industry, building a strong manufacturing base, but without slipping into protectionism, balancing uh, the need to stand up for the nation uh, with the need to be internationalist. Um, And I think that's just one example. Some people call that centrism. I just call that good politics Uh, and uh, recognizing the world in which we live is a complex place. And there are rarely simplistic answers for solving complex problems.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And and you touch upon um, British industry there and um, how how best to uh, approach it from a a, a positive political um, way. And of course, um, that is part of the heart of um, Labour Renaissance, which you are uh, the chair of and has been doing a great deal of work attempting to um, reconnect um, voters uh, with the Labour Party who may have been um, felt distant from the Labour Party in the past, for people who haven't heard of Labour Renaissance before and its work, could you could you just explain what Labour Renaissance is and what and what it aims to do?
0: Yes, it's a group that um, I set up along with a number of other colleagues, people like Justin Madders MP, uh, Carolyn Harris MP, Ruth Smith, who was uh, a colleague here in in Parliament, and others. Uh, and it's all about, as you rightly say, reconnecting with the voters that Labour lost. In December two thousand and nineteen, but we recognise that many of the losses in December two thousand and nineteen were a long time coming. Uh, this wasn't just an overnight uh, decision that people made to abandon the party, uh, to abandon the Labour Party. It's it's been an issue that's bubbling under for a long time. Um, and so, what we did was establish uh, eight uh, conversations with former voters across the country, but all in constituencies that we lost in December 2019. We asked them a number of questions about their thoughts of, about politics and uh, the broader state of the nation, if you like, and then we talked to them about possible stories about the future of the country that Labour could and should be telling and got their feedback on those stories and what really worked. and. Uh, without giving uh, too much away um because well not so much giving too much away it's just we haven't really got time to get into it all but broadly speaking um real appetite for a labor party that is the party of work passionate about work the clue is in the name we are the labor party we stand for the labor interest we stand for the interests of working people uh, and we want to create good jobs <clears throat> that you can <clears throat> good jobs that you can raise a family on. Uh, across the country. Uh, secondly, a Labour Party that is very responsible in the way it manages the economy, and this idea of investing now to save later. Everything that we do, every decision we make in terms of money that we we invest must be about saving money for the taxpayer in the long term. So it's you know prevention being much better than cure. Um, you know, great examples being uh, investing in education ends up saving you a huge amount of money because you're creating young people who actually are going to go out there, be productive and get good jobs. Uh, And that's good for them and it's also good for the economy. And thirdly, about uh, this idea of a Britain that can stand more firmly on its own two feet. So we need to be much stronger on manufacturing. Uh, We believe that manufacturing should be rebuilt uh, in our country because that's the basis of our resilience uh, the pandemic really exposed the extent to which we've outsourced so much of our critical national infrastructure to uh, other countries. And many of those countries are certainly not friends of the United Kingdom, uh, China being probably the most um, salient example. Uh, and so that that idea of, a, of, of uh, bringing back manufacturing, rebuilding manufacturing, but as I was saying earlier, not at all slipping into protectionism, <laughs> but just having Uh, a a relationship particularly with of course our partners and allies in the European Union that works for business, promotes good competition and innovation and investment so that we can get our economy uh, firing on all cylinders again. Uh, Those are the three main narratives if you like that worked really well with uh, the voters that we spoke with and uh, you know we've been working closely with Keir Starmer's office and others to uh, take those ideas forward and in fact I don't know if there's any members of the Labour Party uh, listening to this, but we've been taking Renaissance out to constituency Labour parties all over the country. We've done dozens of Zoom discussions where we've set out what Renaissance is about, and we've had great uh, question and answer sessions and discussions with Labour members afterwards. So if there's anybody there who's, who would wel- wel- welcome uh, the opportunity to have a Renaissance discussion in their CLP, uh, well, I'm sure you you know how to contact me or well perhaps will you could help as well so that was a shameless plug for our work but we're really keen to to get this debate moving forward across uh, the Labour Party and indeed across the country
1: mm-hmm, absolutely and I'm sure that there will be um, many people members of the Labour Party listening who would um, very much like to, to take you upon that offer and would be very interested in Great. that um, moving on um, to your current role, Shadow Minister for Immigration, and, and you mentioned obviously Britain's relationship with the EU, which has changed significantly in the past few years. How do you view immigration, and, and, and how do you think um, we can ensure immigration runs smoothly in a pro in a post-Brexit world? Because obviously, one of the the major issues in the referendum was related to um, immigration
0: Um, we need a uh, we need an immigration system that is firm fair and well managed Mm -hmm. and um, there are essentially two big uh, aspects of the job that I'm doing as shadow immigration minister one is the asylum system and one is work-based migration it's very important that we see those Mm -hmm. two things uh, as very different beasts Uh, those people who are fleeing violence and persecution, many of them risking their lives to come across on the channel on small boats. They are not economic migrants. They are seeking refuge. And it, there's a big difference between the two. So it's very important to emphasize that. Looking at those two uh, aspects of the job, what we need on the asylum side is uh, three things. We have to uh, negotiate a successor to the Dublin Regulation. So when we were in the European Union, we were part of the Dublin regulation, which enabled countries to return um, uh, asylum seekers uh, to the, uh, a safe country. Uh, and that would, was enabling us to return, uh, when we were in the European Union, uh, those who were unsuccessful in, uh, in securing asylum. And one of the reasons that we've seen a huge upsurge in the number of people risking their lives by coming across the channel on small boats. Uh, and uh you know clinging to the axles of lorries etc uh is that um when we came out of the dublin convention uh, re- regulation the government made absolutely no no attempt to negotiate a successor to it uh, and as a result that the word gets out amongst the people smugglers that if you can get to the uk the uk's got nowhere to send you to or back mm. Of course, the government's trying now to address that with this um, disgraceful Rwanda policy. Uh, that is absolutely the not right, right way to do things. Particularly because the Rwanda policy is not about processing people that could potentially come back to the UK if their applications are successful. It's a one-way ticket to Rwanda. It's an offloading policy, not a processing policy. So Labour profoundly disagrees uh, with that, and and we've been making that clear in in Parliament. Um, so there's the need for a returns agreement. There's a need for safe and legal routes. We've got things like the Afghan citizens resettlement scheme, the Syrian scheme, the dub scheme for unaccompanied minors. The government has basically closed all of those schemes down. So little wonder that the people are coming on these small boats because uh, they've got no safe and legal route uh, to come through. And the other huge piece that we need to do is invest in fixing our broken asylum application processing system that has completely collapsed since the pandemic to the point where we now have 37,000 refugees languishing in hotels, uh, not refugees, sorry, asylum seekers. They haven't been granted asylum yet. They're seeking asylum. Uh, 37,000, that's costing the taxpayer an eye-watering £4 million a day. So three big things to to fix there. And then on the work-based migration, well, we've left the European Union. Uh, We're not going to go back to free movement of labour. We need to keep the points-based uh, system, but there are a lot of improvements that can be made to the points-based system, particularly linking it better to a skills strategy and ensuring that um, employers aren't just uh, solving issues in their companies by simply importing labour from other countries. We need to see a clear skills plan. I, I would, pro- we we want to promote the idea of dialogue between uh, trade unions, government, and business to set of uh, strategies for each sector. Uh, of the economy to determine how many uh, uh, migrant labour, how many workers from other countries are needed to bring in, whilst balancing that against uh, ensuring that you're recruiting and skilling up uh, your local workforce. I guess that's a good example, Will, of what we were saying earlier about a nuanced position, saying, "Look, we we, we need regu- we need a regulated labour market, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if you have a properly functioning work-based, points-based migration system." you can actually regulate the labour market more effectively, and and that's what we're after.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, I'd now like to just turn um, to your views on um, Welsh devolution, because, of course, um, Welsh, you represent a um, Welsh constituency. Um, And and there are some people who will argue that devolution in Wales uh, has gone far enough, some who will argue that it needs to go further. What do you think... um, should happen regarding devolution do you think that there are further changes that need to be made in in, in relation to um, wales's uh, relationship with the rest of the uk or, or do you think that the the settlement in, in in terms of devolution for wales is is far enough and, and any further would um, go on to to something akin to independence
0: i'm absolutely convinced that this uh, so-called leveling up um mm. policy cannot work without uh real and meaningful devolution. Um, but I think it needs to happen across the UK. What we've got into is a dangerous imbalance between Wales and Scotland having very visible, high-profile political representation now and clearly defined policies. And of course, the, the COVID pandemic, actually one of the unintended uh, outcomes, I think, of uh, of the COVID pandemic was, I mean, unintended certainly from the point of view of the hi- hyper-centralising conservative government is is that it did actually really underline to people that there is a very clearly devolved government in Scotland and a devolved government in Wales, and they're making decisions every day that affect people's daily lives. And and that, I think, has reinforced the value of devolution, bringing decision-making closer to people, making people clear that they've got more ownership of the issue, and that you can solve problems more effectively, by taking decisions closer to people than thinking you can just pull a lever in Whitehall and uh, it's gonna have uh, the desired impact in in Scunthorpe or uh, in in Wigan or in uh, Cornwall or wherever it may be. So I believe in the principle of devolution as a better way of delivering good outcomes. Um, But it has to be across the UK. So I think we need Um, a constitutional convention. I think we need citizens' assemblies about how this should work because it would be pretty ironic, wouldn't it, if you ended up making decisions about devolution through sort of men in pinstripe suits in Westminster in the ivory tower here. We've got to get this debate out of Westminster and Whitehall into the rest of the country. And we've got to set up um, a proper process that would make recommendations and lead to legislation. Of course, you need the centre to play a strong and active role in that. You do need to some extent an overall plan and framework from the centre to drive this forward because it has to be a partnership. Um, And I think that 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 more UK wide devolution would be very helpful for devolution in Wales and Scotland as well. Uh, And it would ensure that you don't end up with a, a, a situation where power get centralised in Westminster or in Cardiff or in Edinburgh, it needs to be out into local authorities, out into uh, local enterprise partnerships, out into the, the city region deals that we have in uh, in, in Wales. So I, I don't have a one-size-fits-all answer to your question, because by definition I think a one-size-fits-all uh, answer would be running counter to the to the spirit in which I think you asked that question. Uh, I think it needs to be based on deliberative democracy and inclusive process, citizens' assemblies leading to a constitutional convention with a set of recommendations that can be debated both here in Parliament but right across the country. And it should include things like devolution of tax-raising powers, uh, devolution of spending powers, uh, devolution of uh, every aspect of the system which is currently not devolved, uh, and where you, you, in essence, you you test in each case. You say, well. Could we improve things by doing it this way? What resources would be required? And let's uh, devolve accordingly. And you know, I think we've also got examples around Europe yeah. of how that's worked pretty well in places like uh, Germany. To some extent in Spain, of course, they've had massive problems with Catalonia. But I recently attended a presentation by a senior councillor from the Basque region about the way in which they've regenerated Bilbao. Mm-hmm. And it's an absolutely extraordinary story, and it's it's based on the principles of radical devolution. And uh, what the, what what they've done in Bilbao is an absolute example of leveling up, actually. Uh, and I don't think they could have done it without a radically devolved model.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, Centre has taken a lot of inspiration from um, Nordic countries in terms of areas such as collective bargaining, environmental policy, etc. And of course, you have a very um, close link to one of those nations, to Denmark. Um, do you think that there are any policies or ideas that we in Britain could learn from Denmark or that we could take from Denmark and adapt to the UK?
0: Yes, I think uh, labor market reform is an area which I th- think in Denmark is an absolutely outstanding example of how to do it. So they have this system called flexicurity, which is based on um, building a really, really strong safety net for people who, for whatever reason, lose their job. So, uh, you know, we live in a fast-moving, fast-changing economy. And it is often the case that for in order for businesses to survive and to remain competitive and to survive, they have to change. They have to restructure. They sometimes look for different and new skills, uh, and that means that they often have to change their workforce. Um, we've got so many examples in the UK of that, those changes happening, and then people just being put onto benefits mm. and left to their own devices, and, of course... South Wales still bears the scars of the uh, catastrophic failures of uh, Margaret Thatcher's government to have a plan B for all of those uh, miners that lost their jobs following the uh, effective closing down of the coal mining industry in in South Wales. Um, That's just one example of where there was no proactive labour market support. Uh, In Denmark, if you lose your job, you genuinely have a Rolls-Royce service. It, it, it's, it almost is more like a headhunting sector where there's exactly that. So they're publicly funded, the job centers, but it's um, a, each job center worker has a very, very small number of people that they support and they proactively go out, support with CV, support with thinking about where the right move might be, support with liaising with different businesses that might have the right uh, might be looking for somebody of that profile setting up meetings um and and a, and a very generous um unemployment support package so that you you know people might leave the job they're leaving but they are bouncing right back into the economy and often ending up with in in a better place than they were before that drives productivity it drives better morale it ensures that you've got good people having good and meaningful jobs uh, that they can raise a family on so the principle of flexicurity, of investing in uh, rotating people, because of course, it, it helps productivity in the company that people have left, because yeah. the the employers there have been able to make the changes that they need to make, mm-hmm. and they are confident that if they do make those changes, they're not uh, kicking people onto mm-hmm. the scrap heap. Yeah. Quite the opposite, they're putting them in onto a trampoline, yeah. which will help them to bounce back and jump higher so th- those those i think are the principles of a of a proactive labor market support system and i feel that our our, our system is just uh, and it's anachronistic it it's under-resourced there hasn't been enough support for it under-invested and and as a result we've ended up with people getting more and more distant from the labor market uh and less and less able to to get back into it and Uh, and less and less able to get back into it at at a level which is actually commensurate with their abilities. So, yeah, that that would be my, you know, the British government should look very closely at the Danish security system.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, We're coming towards the end of the podcast, Stephen. It's been great to have you on. And I have one final question. Now, today, Wales will be playing off against the Netherlands. It's going to be, I'm sure, um, a game that you'll watch tensely. So my, my, my final question is, if you could play in any iconic game, whether it be uh, a famous football game or a famous rugby game, if, if you could have your moment in the sun in one of those uh, games that is immortalised in history, which game, which um, football game or, or rugby game would you choose
0: to appear in? Oh, my goodness, what a question. I didn't <laughs> see that one coming, Will. Um, well, I, I, of course, watched... Um, Wales uh, winning 1-0 to to get to the to the World Cup uh, against Ukraine and and that was a tough one to watch in some ways because of course we all were you know feeling for Ukraine yeah. and it was such a, a kind of um an odd match in some ways but I have to say the the boys played extremely well and thoroughly deserved to win and and um I'm so so chuffed that we've ended uh, 64 years of hurt uh, by finally qualifying for a World Cup for the first time since 1958, uh, I did see the Netherlands match the other night. I was very disappointed by that min- last-minute header that for the Netherlands that gave them the two-one victory, and yeah, really, fingers crossed for this evening. Um, but my, I'm, yeah, I am passionate about rugby, uh, and um, I have to say there's, a, there's a, there was a legendary match in which. Uh, Scott Gibbs scored an absolutely legendary try against England to 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 win uh, uh, in, um, and, I, and I can't actually even remember the year now, but it was uh, that I would, if I could have been Scott Gibbs, that sidestep was without doubt the greatest sidestep I've ever seen. So I think uh, being the guy that executed that sidestep would probably be my uh, dream sporting moment.
1: Well, I think that it's a, a sporting moment that a lot of people would um, you know, like to have uh, experienced as well. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Stephen. If people want to find out more about you and about Labour Renaissance, where should they go to find out
0: more? Yeah, we have a website. Um, and if you just Google Labour Renaissance, uh, you'll see the website. You can sign up there and get information uh, about all the work that we're doing. Uh, and of course, please feel free uh, to perhaps message me through Will if you'd like um, Labour Renaissance to come to your CLP. Uh, for uh, we do a, we do a short presentation, and, and really, it's all about the Q and A and the debate. Um, so, yeah, that that would be the best way to do it. But just Google us uh, Labour Renaissance, and you should get the information you're after.
1: Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on, Stephen.
0: Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. All the best. going to do that, we also have to not lose sight of the art of debate. The Conservative Party itself is strong because we are a coalition. You know, we have different views, and it is the collective of all those views that then appeals to the nation as as a whole, and I hope we don't lose sight of that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you.